Once again, happy Father's Day for you if you are a dad. Uh, I've been very spoilt already. Uh, this year I got a necklace made out of noodles from my youngest. So I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, my daughter gave me a um, sort of a jar of oil and herbs and stuff. The main ingredient being chili, which uh, tells me she knows me really well. And this morning, uh, my oldest, either he is um, a visionary and he has great hope in me, or uh, there's other things going on. He gave me a set of uh, tools, like screwdrivers. <laughs> and for those of you who know me, you know why you're laughing. Uh, my son gives it to me and says, Dad, this is for you. Happy Father's Day. I hope you can build something with these one day. Uh, he has either great hope or he wants me to get a real job. So I'm not sure where it's going. Now, I know for some of us, uh, like John mentioned, Father's Day is not a fun day. Uh, it's a reminder that we've lost loved ones or we're estranged and there's strained relationships with our earthly father. Uh, there may be also the reality of being distant. So you, you're here in Australia and they might be in another country. Um, we want you to know, as we've sung already, that there is the creator of the universe, that he's not some distant being out there, that he is a personal God and he is your father, heavenly father. And we pray that you would continue to encounter him uh, this morning. Uh, if you are a follower of Jesus, you might have a Bible. Would you please grab a Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 to 9? If you don't have a physical copy of a Bible, uh, there are some uh, Bibles here for you. And maybe you haven't picked up your Father's Day gift yet. You can grab that. It's free. And you can wrap it up and give it to them as a gift. Um, so feel free to do that. Um, so if you have a physical Bible or, uh, or on your app, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, it's in the Old Testament. Um, and if you don't have a Bible, just turn to the person next to you. I'm sure they'll be able to help you follow through. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 to 9 is where we're going to be spending our time in, partly, this morning. Uh, if you are someone who is not a follower of Jesus, you're exploring His truth, if He's real, we pray that you'll continue to encounter Him. Uh, we, as a church, believe as we open His Word that He speaks to us. It's as though we're hearing His audible voice speaking to us directly. Uh, here is God's word. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear therefore, Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, that you might multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Uh, the person who's speaking is a guy called Moses. He's speaking to the nation of Israel. If you can imagine, he's given this massive big sermon with a bunch of commandments and rules. And he's now about to speak to them, uh, kind of like the, the crux or the, the center point of all the things that the commandments hinge on. And that's where we're going to be spending our time in verses four onwards. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as the frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house 
and on your gates. Let me pray again. Lord Jesus, we come before your throne of grace this morning that you will continue to speak to us. Holy Spirit, I pray and ask that you cause our hearts to be still. Lord Jesus, we pray this for your glory, in your name. Amen. Uh, Friends, this morning I just want us to consider a couple of things. I guess really uh, ask you two questions. Uh, The first question I want to ask is, who is God? Who is your God? Who is God to you? And secondly, if you believe in this God, and if you believe He is true, or you might be exploring Him, if this is true, or maybe you're not even sure if this is true, how are you living your life today? What, what motivates you to live a life, maybe even live a life for God? What motivates you to follow His commands? In these verses here, we have a statement. It describes clearly in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The first question before we jump into all of it is we need to answer this question. Who is God to you? Who is He to you? Now, that's probably a pretty heavy question to ask on a Sunday morning on Father's Day. You're thinking, great, that's why I came on Sunday morning to ponder and consider who is God. Very light subject. But here's the thing, though. We all have an opinion on who God is, right? We all have an opinion. Whether if you're someone who doesn't believe in God, well, guess what? That's an opinion. Whether if it's someone who uh, believes that maybe there are many gods and the Christian God is just one of them, that is an opinion. And maybe you're someone who does believe in the God of the Bible. And you're going, well, there's the first answer. I've told you, Shabu. 100 marks for me. Now, you could ask, what's the point? Why am I asking these questions? See, the, the verses that are in front of us are probably some of the most famous verses ever penned down in the Bible. Here is a nation. They've just been rescued from slavery in the most miraculous uh, accounts. And you can read that in Exodus. Uh, they are about to go and take the promised land. God has been leading them all the way. Now, to clarify who they are, God sets before this whole nation to show that you're not like the people who you've just been rescued from, like in Egypt, or you're not going to be like the people, who, the countries that surround you. You're a unique group of people. You're my people, and I'm your God. I'm going to set before you commandments to follow. In a sense, the commandments are to display to the people that are watching. And their whole lifestyle is shaped by their relationship with God, both personally, even communally, and even displayed socially. And this is what you have outlined in the book of Deuteronomy. Now, if you are someone who's exploring the Christian faith, or maybe you've been around the Christian religious sort of things, there's an assumption that I think we often have. That assumption is... Christianity is all about the do's and don'ts, right? It's just a set of laws and commands. Now, the Bible doesn't shy away. (laughs) The Bible makes it very clear, don't do that. There is commands. But sometimes I think we don't ask the question, why? If you're a parent, there's a moment in your child's life, you 
just tell them what to do and they have no control over it. They just do it. But in their life, there's this moment in history. You ask them to do something and they turn around and say, why? Now, depending on the situation, that's a great question to ask. Sometimes you go, I wish you hadn't asked that. And we sort of want to tell them, just do it, because I asked you. Now, there's, there's, there's realities to that, but we need to also ask, in our day and age, why should we obey the commands of God? Why do we obey the things that God has said? And in this moment, this is what's been displayed as Moses speaks to this group of people. He says to Israel as a nation, hey, listen up, Israel. Hear, O Israel, is what he says. It's, in other words, if he was a, it was a pastor preaching a sermon, you know when pastors would preach, they'll say this thing. If there's one thing that you remember from this sermon, this is it. This is what Moses is doing. Saying if there's one thing you to remember, hear, O Israel, this is it. The Lord, the one true God, Jehovah, the one who is unique, He's not like any of the other gods. He's united. He's unlike other. He's the true God. And then, if this is true, the implication is, the call is, or the command is, you should love the Lord your God with all your soul, mind, and strength. In other words, the reason why you do what you do, the reason why you obey the commandments, is not by just some religious action alone. There's a motivation that's driving it. It's because of who you see God is and because of your relationship with Him. And the kind of relationship that God yearns and desires for is the kind of relationship that uh, that Moses is saying here in this moment. It's all or nothing. 100%. All in. We as Australians are all in in certain situations particularly when it comes to sporting events. We're all in, 100%. We are so all in that our very moods are determined by it. If our team wins, particularly if you follow AFL, the weekend is a wonderful weekend if your team has won. For some of us, we might even reschedule our schedule to follow the, the sort of fixture of sports. Now, that's external expression of all in, everything, what does it look like when it comes relationally? What does it look like to be all in into a relationship, whether if it's a dating one or a married one or maybe even our kids being Father's Day? We might move our whole situation around, in a sense, reschedule our whole life around this one relationship that we might have, all in. This is played out in a variety of ways. It might be based on our career, our bank balance, the type of lifestyle that we desire. In other words, we may desire to love all these things with our whole soul, mind, and strength. See, when we do these kind of things, what it's speaking is that we as human beings have been created in a particular way. You and I have been created to be worshippers. So remember, this group of people that Moses is addressing are reminded, hey, your religious acts I've just talked about, outlined in all of Deuteronomy. The reason why you do this, not alone duty, neither is it just about fear or reverence, but it's out of your love. It's relational. Your love f- 
before the God of the universe, the God who rescued you and saved you. Now, you might be someone, I don't know all of you here, who does not believe in the God of the Bible. We're glad that you made the time to come this morning. You might not realize this, because God has created human beings to be worshippers of Him, you and I, or you might yourself, might be worshipping something or someone else. You might not realize this, but the reality is that's probably what's going on. One of my favorite Christian authors by the name of Tim Keller says this in a book that he wrote about idolatry. Idolatry is worshipping of something else than God. He says, what is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. There are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something, but perhaps the best one is worship. Friends, whether we are someone who does believe in the God of the Bible or someone who does not, we're all prone to worship something or someone. So the question for you and I even this morning, who is God to you? Who is your God? Is he the God of the Bible that we've just talked about or is he or even sung about this morning? Or is, he, is it something or someone else? Now, for those of us who believe in the God of the Bible, look at these verses and say, Yes, yeah, Shabir, I'm here. I believe in God. That's why I'm here on Sunday morning. Well, here's another question for you. Why do you obey the commands of God? What's your motivation? What's my motivation? See, uh, in these verses later on, Moses says, Hey, here are my instructions to you. Here's my commandments. You must love God. Love Him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, your very whole being. Now, I want you to pass this on to the next generation. It says, You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them. And when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be at frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house, on your gates. It's a beautiful, glorious picture of a relationship that says, Hey, I'm going to teach you of our God. I'm going to teach you about the God of the Bible, the one who rescued us. And we're going to do this in the everyday of life. Using modern day language, it's this kind of life, sort of um, apprenticeship, mentorship, coming along, teaching them, explaining to them this God who has rescued them from slavery, who is a good God, the God Jehovah, who's like no other God. And even today, there are many who are devout Jews who part of their religious ceremony actually practice saying these words. It's known as the Shema. The Shema is a centerpiece of daily prayer if you're a devout Jew. Both morning and evening you recite this. It's an affirmation of who God is and their relationship that's unique to them. It's someone who daily says this in every moment and remembers these words. And it's actually finally celebrating the most holiest of days in the Jewish calendar called Yom Kippur. The Day of Atonement where they remember again the need for atonement and they need to repent of all the things that they've done. And they're reciting this, these words that we just read. 
You can go to a, a, a very devout Jewish home and you will see a little box in the front door as a reminder of the Shema, this, this commandment that's been given to them. And some, as they do their religious practices, they'll have their arms sort of uh, binding around them. They'll have a little box in front of them. They're playing out these verses that we just read and saying, this is what we believe. This is who we belong to. Now, friends, I know most of us here, myself included, I don't think have a Jewish heritage or Jewish background. But here's the thing, though. Some of us might have been fallen into this trap. We forget the motivation of why we follow God's commands. It becomes kind of just a religious thing. We just do it because that's what's expected of us. I mean, that happens even for me, people like me in ministry. Forget about the reasons why we say no to sin, why we believe and follow God. It's like, you know, tradition. We just go to church on Sundays. That's what we do. We forget the motivation we forget the motivation why we are called to obey. At times for some of us, obedience to God is driven out of this fear, a sense of fear and scariness in the sense that there's this God waiting there with a baseball bat to whack you as soon as you step out of line. To some of us, even the law and commands have become like a measuring stick. Well, you know, I'm not like so-and-so. They did this this week, I'm pretty sure I saw their Facebook status. For some of us, the law and the commands become this thing where we, we want to obey, it's out of fear, but there's also this sense of, oh, I'm not, I'm not good enough, I'll never be good enough. And we push ourselves down constantly and continuously. Now, do you remember the words that we just read? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And verse 6 says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your way. Your heart. On your heart. See, the motivation for obedience to God and His commands first begins with the recognition of who God is, driven into a personal relationship that should stir a love for Him. And notice in verse 6, the aim of these commands, and particularly loving God, should begin in our hearts. It should come and rest in there. For a very long time, I used to roll my eyes at some of these Old Testament commands. I'm thinking, well, that's all just Old Testament. But friends, the Old Testament is relevant even for today. These verses ring true even for you and I today. See, so God's desire for us to obey His commands is not just kind of rote learning, it's out of, driven out of worship and love for Him. And this means it's much more than just an outward action. It needs to begin in our heart. It begins inwardly. We need to really believe this stuff. It's much more than just talking about it. You know, like just sort of, yeah, yeah, that's what the Bible says, and this is what the Bible says, this is what the Bible says, and we just say it, but we don't really do it or believe it because that relational aspect is missing, that love aspect is missing. Recently, I was talking to a personal trainer uh, for various reasons, and we were chatting, and uh, in our, our conversation, he turned around to me, uh, he said, oh, what are you up to today? And I said to him, oh, well, I'm actually going to go and do some planning. He goes, oh, what does planning look like for you? What does your vision look like for you, Shabu? So, well, I, I sit down and, and I pray, 
and ask God to give me wisdom in the decisions that I have to make. Ah, oh, cool, man. I said, yeah. He, he goes, I do that too. So, oh, really? What does that look like? Well, kind of, he said. This is what it looks like. Yeah, you agree. If you have a task in mind, you need to visualize it. You need to capture it. And you need to really believe in what you're about to do and so stay focused. I said, okay, what does that look like? Well, I go to my room. I clear my mind. I think of nothing. And I look at the task that's ahead. And I focus 100% at this task. Once I focus on this task, then I go and do it. I said, oh, wow, that's amazing. I just said to him, do you actually do that? He said, no, I don't. But it's a good idea. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but I think sometimes that happens in our Christian faith, right? We say, that's a good idea. We sh- you should do it, just do it. But are we really believe Because there's something going on in our hearts. And right now, I need to ask, if there was a scale from 1 to 10, if I asked you, how did you go this week? And loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Who would be first to put up their hand? 100%. They've done it. Because then I need to step down and you can start finish the sermon for me. It's tough, friends. But I love the words the Apostle Paul says when he talks about the struggle with sin that he has. And he says these famous words, but thanks be to God. In the Gospel of Mark, up here on the screen you'll see, Jesus actually talks about this command. One of the scribes came up to him and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you're right, teacher. You've truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all heart, with all the understanding and all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than a whole burnt offering and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to question him anymore. See, as per usual, while Jesus was physically here on this earth, the religious types wanted to kind of have a bit of a theological discussion with him. And they, one of the guys called a scribe, this person knew the law back to front because they're scribing, they're writing it out, they've memorized it, they know every single word, they want to test Jesus. And Jesus goes straight to the heart of the matter like he always does. He quotes the verses that just we unpacked. Then he also unpacks a second statement. He says the second commandment from Leviticus about loving your neighbor. Scribe acknowledges it exactly and says, Oh, well, Jesus, 100% top marks, you're right. And he says something significant even in that day and age. He says it's far more important, more important to love God and love others than offering sacrifices. It's a big statement for a scribe to make in that day and age. See, in this very moment, what we have is this beautiful display. See, when God and His law and command go straight into our hearts, and we learn to love God with all of our soul, mind, and strength, the outwork is we are compelled to love others. It's non-negotiable. That is what's going to happen. But see... The statement in the Old Testament and the commands in the Old Testament 
As a reminder to you and I, all of us have dropped the ball on this. All of us have failed. And one sure way to find out is how are we going with loving our neighbours? Friends, there's only one who's perfectly done this. The good news of the gospel is a reminder to you and I that God sends his one and only son, the one who has eternally and constantly and continuously loved his father with his whole soul, mind, and strength. And not only that, while he was physically on this earth, he lived out these truths. That was his motivation. And then he displays that second commandment of loving your neighbor as he goes to the cross and is crucified for the neighbors that crucified him and for you and for I. And we know that the good news of the gospel is a reminder. It didn't end on the cross. There's this empty tomb. Christ is risen. And when we put our faith in him and we respond to the good news of the gospel, the Spirit then comes into our lives, invades our lives, and the law of God is imprinted into our hearts because Christ has done it. Christ has achieved atonement through his sacrifice. And then the obedience becomes more about worship driven out of love. In 1 John 4.19, we have these confronting words. We love because he first loved us. Friends, Jesus and God did not love us based on how many commandments we got right. He loved us even when we were sinners, rejectors of his loving authority. And when we respond to the good news of the gospel, then you and I are called to love others as the Spirit invades every aspect of our life. You know what that means for you and I today? That means for some of us, whether intentionally or unintentionally, you have given your life to Christ and you believe in this good news. They praise God for that. But whether intentionally or unintentionally, you've fallen back into the trap thinking that's about how good you do for God and all the good things that you do for God rather than trusting in what Christ has already done. How do you want to know? Well, how do you respond to those who keep on dropping the ball in their faith? Maybe religious works has become what satisfies you or justifies you, rather than loving Christ. One way to check is how we are loving our neighbors. Can I remind you and I, stop. The good news of Jesus reminds you and I there's the perfect one who has done it on your behalf and my behalf. Return back to him. Rest in his grace. Some of you might think and you look at these verses and think about how have I gone this week and you had a scale of 1 to 10, you're constantly just saying how bad you are. I want you to know that Christ has accepted you not because of what you've done, because of what he has done. So rest in his grace. Rest in his grace. And some of us here today think that following Jesus is all about the do's and don'ts. You might just think that Jesus means you get a ticket to heaven. I want you to know that following Jesus is not 99%, it's 100%. Following Jesus means that he demands your soul, 
your mind, your strength. Every day, 24 hours, 7 days a week. Jesus doesn't hide that. But he wants you to know also today that you, your religiousness will not save you. Whether that means going to church on Sundays, being involved in ministries, whether if you're from a Christian home or go to a Christian school, that will not save you. There is only one that can save you. The only one who has bought a tome and his name is Jesus. And what he desires to do is tattoo his law into your heart through his spirit. So turn to him, confess, ask him to take his rightful place in your soul and heart and mind and strength. And dads, this morning, being Father's Day, I need to say this to myself constantly. I have moments where I think, if I asked my kids, my three kids, I said to them, hey, what does it mean to be a follower of God, follower of Jesus? And if they turned around to me and said, oh, dad, it means that we go to church. We're a pastor's kid. We don't do this. We don't do that. There's a moment I need to stop and cry out for mercy to my God. Because what I've done is communicated about the do's and don'ts rather than communicating to them, hey, you need to learn to love God and let them see that they need Jesus. Dads, we have a great task in front of us. That is to communicate to our kids that being a follower of Jesus is not about the do's and don'ts alone. It's rather talking about following the one who actually wrote the law. We want to disciple them into loving Jesus, not just being good Christian kids. And those three men wonderfully put and showed us this morning We can't do this on our own. We need each other. So who are you going to turn to and ask for help to raise your kids to love Jesus and to love others? Friends, may we continue to be a church community that grow to love God and His commandments because of our relationship with Him. And then to go and love the neighbors that He's placed in front of us so they may know Christ and follow him too let me pray Lord Jesus we thank you for who you are and God I know that there are times when I look at commands I forget the motivation of why we are called to obey you that is because of our love for you Holy Spirit we need your help we can't do this on our own And Lord, for those of us who don't know you, we pray that you will continue to reveal yourself to us. For those of us who know you, whether intentionally or unintentionally, we've sort of fallen back into thinking it's about the doing alone. Help us to come back, as the book of Revelation says, to our first love. To trust in the one who has done it, and who cried out, it is finished. In Jesus' name, amen.